Shalom and welcome to Baruch B'Shem Yeshua. It's great to be with all of you here today. I hope your day is going wonderfully. Just so you know, we got approved on Apple Podcasts. So if you're somebody who uses Apple Podcasts, make a point to go and uh, find this podcast or go to our website and hit the Apple Podcasts button. And you can go and follow us right there and leave us a review. All of those good things. So that these episodes get suggested and this podcast gets suggested to other individuals who are looking for biblically based podcasts. In a couple of months, if it is that you are going through each week's Torah portion and studying those intentively, we will be going to another book of the Bible here in just a couple of months. And it is the book of Exodus. Now, the thing that's interesting about that is that in Hebrew, the book is not called Exodus. It is called Shemos or Shemot, if you are Sephardi. And what does Shemos or Shemot mean in Hebrew? Does it mean Exodus? No. Actually, it means names. Why is it that this book of the Bible is named names? Why is that? The sages of Israel have two explanations for this. Because the tribes of Israel are talked about more prominently in this book for the very first time, that is one reason. Another reason is something that a lot of people do not know. Within the Old Testament of the Bible, there are 72 names for God in those books of the Old Testament. 72 and 54 of those names are in the smallest book of the Torah, which is the book of Shemos. So Shemos could be named that because it is talking about the names of God. We're going to be talking about the name of God in this episode. Now, I want you to realize that I've been on both sides of this argument in terms of the name of God. I used to proclaim a variation of the four-letter name of God before it is that I knew a lick of Hebrew, before I knew history, before I even really knew 
the scripture itself or that of the words of our sages. The verse that is often quoted, and we'll be reading part of this verse, says in Exodus chapter 3, verse 15, Alechem vishemi leolam. And this is translated. This is my name forever. When the four-lettered name of God, the Tetragrammaton, is presented to Moshe Rabbeinu, to Moses, it is presented to him. And he says, Alechem vishemi leolam. This is my name forever. Now, it's interesting because within this verse, the word Leolam is spelled Lamed, Ayan, Lamed, Memsofit. That's how it's spelled there. But that is not the name for forever. But there is a marking that is within this word. Some people call them vowel markers, but they're, they're, they're not necessarily only for vowels. They're, they're known as nakud. Nakud means punctuation. The nakud is going to tell you how to vocalize certain letters, like the letter bet the letter Vav, the letter Aleph, the letter Ayin, and various others. It is going to change the way that that letter itself sounds. But it's interesting because after the Ayin in this, uh, in this word, Olam, there is a cholam and a cholam signifies an O sound now there's no nakud with the ayin there's no little dash underneath of it no little dots underneath of it so it is a guttural pause but then it goes and gives that O sound because of the cholam so it is still pronounced Leolam. It is still pronounced that way. But the word Olam is spelled al, or not Aleph, but Ayin, Vav, Lamed, Memsofit, which is different from what we see in this verse. We take out the Le which uh, is a um, part of sentence structure. We get rid of that. It is spelled in this verse, Ayan Lamed Memsofit. So no letter Vav making a no sound there. This is very curious. So to understand this, we go to the words of Rashi. Rashi said, the word Olam 
which means eternal, means forever, all of those things. In the phrase, this is my eternal name, is written here missing the letter Vav. This teaches us that God's name should always be hidden and not read as it is written. Okay. So Rashi was a big name to the Jewish people in the 1600s in the region of Spain. But the thing is that we always have to test these things, the words of the sages of Judaism with the New Testament. So I've looked at various documents of the New Testament, some old, some new, just to name a couple of them, we have the Kaboris Codex, the Hulkton Codex, the Yonan Codex, the Dutelay, the Munster, the Dalage, so on and so forth. And there are various other Greek manuscripts as well, as well as those in Latin. Did you know there is only one document of the New Testament that has in two places the four-letter name? It is only in one of these documents. And do you know which document it is? It is the document of the Dalage. Now, why does it appear in the Dalage? Did Franz Dalage, when he was translating from Greek into Hebrew, did he mess up? Was he trying to shake up the establishment? Was he pushing sacred name theology? No, he wasn't. In fact, within that of Franz Dalage's scribal notes, he said that whenever the Old Testament is quoted in the New Testament, he would go and take the Masoretic text and insert that into those places. And so, though it is that Yeshua nor his disciples said the four-letter name of God. It is within the Dalish text so that a person could understand that the Masoretic text, that the Tanakh was being referenced in that verse. And we have one such instance of that when Yeshua was on the cross, when the four-letter name of God is mentioned in only the Dalage text. Now it's interesting because thousands of times the four-letter name of God is mentioned in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament. It is in there 
thousands of times. Why is it then, within the New Testament, it doesn't appear? If we do a little bit of digging, we realize that the books of the Old Testament that were written later and those that are a part of the Pseudopigrapha and the Apocrypha do not contain the four-letter name of God. We have to ask why this is. Why was there such an abrupt change? Well, we can go to some of the texts that help us to look at the history of the culture of the people in the land of Israel during these days. If we go to the Talmud, Tractate Yoma has a lot to say about this particular individual known as Shimon as, as Shimon Hazadik. I almost said Shimon Bar Yochai. He was a little bit later though. But it is Shimon Hazadik. And within Yoma 30, uh, 39b in the Talmud, it says this. The year that he died, he predicted, this year I am going to die. When they asked him how he knew, he answered, Every Yom Kippur, an elderly man dressed in white, wrapped in white, would enter and leave the Holies of Holies with me. Today, though an elderly man dressed in black and wrapped in black entered with me, and he did not come out with me. After the holidays of Sukkot, he fell ill for seven days, and he died. That year, B'chowanim, the priests, did not mention the Tetragrammaton while reciting the priestly blessing. Well, that is very interesting. A little bit more of the history of Shimon Hazadik is also found in Yoma 39b. It's also found in uh, the Jerusalem Talmud in Yoma. In that tractate as well. And it says within there, during Shimon's administration, seven miracles were said to have taken place. A blessing rested on the offering of the first fruits, on the two sanctified loaves, and on the loaves of showbread. In that, although each priest received a portion no larger than an olive, he ate and was satisfied without even consuming the whole of it. The lot cast for God, as we see in Leviticus, always came into the right hand. The red thread around the neck of the goat ram invariably be became white on the Day of Atonement. The light in the temple never failed. The fire of the altar required 
but little wood to keep it burning. And the doors of the Ba'is HaGmikdash of the Holy Temple opened on their own when it took over 20 men previously to open those doors when Shimon had walked up to the doors of the Holy Temple. So there's a lot of information here about this guy, this holy individual. What is the, what is the name Shimon Hazadik actually mean? It means Simon the righteous or Simon the upright or Simon the just. Now it's interesting to me because in Berachos 64a it says Simon the righteous said for I will not go to my peace of rest until I have met the Messiah of Israel. Now the thing is that there are debates as to when it is this guy Shimon Hazadik lived. Some say, well, this is the Shimon that is talking about in 400 BCE. This is the Shimon that was the high priest during that time. Some say that he was the rightful high priest when the Greeks came in and Cephas had been appointed by the Greeks in the times of the New Testament. So I'm just going to read you this verse over here from the book of Luke chapter 2 verses 25 through 28. And now there was a certain man in Jerusalem. His name was Shimon. And this man was just was just and a righteous one and was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been said to him that the Holy Spirit said that he would not see death until he saw the Messiah of the Lord. He came by the spirit of the temple and when his parents brought the boy Yeshua um, to do on his behalf as the commandment of the Torah he received upon um, he received upon his arms and blessed God so they went to this guy Shimon Hazadik for Yeshua's circumcision now, given the timing of Yeshua's birth, which we have calculated to be just a couple of days before Sukkot, maybe two days, maybe one day, those things could be debated. We got to remember the inns were full. So people were traveling. Where were they traveling to? They were traveling to Jerusalem for the time of Sukkot. 
Now, the thing is that they would not have been in Sukkot when Yeshua was born. Because that would mean if the ends were full, that would mean that everybody, uh, you know, was still traveling to go to Jerusalem during that time. So given the length of uh, the length between that of Beit Lechem and Jerusalem, we say they only really needed a day, but maybe they decided to take an extra day. So one or two days before that of Sukkot. And it's interesting because in Yoma 39b in the Talmud, it says that Shimon fell ill after Sukkot. Sukkot is a festival of eight of seven days. It's a seven-day festival. On the eighth day, a person would receive their brista, and it says in Berachos that this man could not see death until he had met the Messiah. So what happens here? We see from that of Tractate Yoma in the Talmud, it says that during the priestly blessing, the four-letter name was not recited in honor of this great holy man, Shimon Hazadik, who had the presence of God in that holy temple, brought with him the presence of God into the holy temple. If we go to Tractate Rosh Hashanah 2a in the Talmud also is within other tractates of the Talmud in the Mishnah section the Mishnah section is the rule the rulings of the Sanhedrin Deuteronomy chapter third uh, chapter um, 17 says to do as the Sanhedrin says or the penalty of death. It says within there to not that those who will not receive life eternally in the Olom Haba, in the world to come, in the Machut HaShemayim, in the kingdom of heaven, are those who recite the four-letter name as it is written. So, the writers of the New Testament were following this, whether it is that you believe that it was written in Greek, the four-letter name of God is not found anywhere in the Greek New Testament. If you believe that it is written in Aramaic, it is not found in any of the Aramaic documents of the New Testament. There are some that believe that it was written in Hebrew. We have old, we have newer Hebrew manuscripts of the New Testament, but nothing really old. But let's say that you believe maybe something like the Dutlet or the Munster or any of these are actually old documents 
Well, even those writers did not use the four-letter name of God in their New Testament. We also see from rabbinic texts as well, such as Tosefta, Talmud, Zohar, and any of the various works of the Jewish sages. They do not use a variation of the four-letter name of God. And it is because of this ruling and of this history, of this great Sadiq, Shimon Hasadik. Now, we also can understand this better by understanding Semitic language, understanding the Hebrew of the Bible. Many times when you see the word Shem in the Bible, it will be translated as name. But there is always something known as Hashkafa as well. What is Hashkafa? It is worldview. And worldviews change in terms of time period. They change in terms of what region of the world, what the culture was at some particular place. And in the first century in the land of Israel, we have to understand what that word Shem means. What is the Bible really saying when it says, proclaim my name? When it's saying, take my name into the valleys. When it's saying to proclaim the name of Hashem to all the nations. Some people can read that with a 21st century Western understanding and say that everybody should know how to say the four-letter name of God. But was the Messiah, Yeshua, going against the proclamations of Hashem because he does everything possible to not say the four-letter name of God? Instead, he refers to him in Aramaic as Marie, which means Lord, Master. He calls him Abba or Ab or Abi, my father or father. He uses all of these words to speak of Hashem. And in many places, he will also refer go and use Alaha, which is the Aramaic variant of Eloah in Hebrew. Yeshua goes way out of his way. And it's because we have to understand what this word Shem means. Because the scripture wasn't written in 21st century English, now was it? No, that'd be kind of silly. What the word Shem means when we take into account Hashkafa worldview at that time, what a name meant. 
It means personality and character. This is why when Adam was formed, the very first man, he was named man. That's what Adam means. All of the names in the scripture and in some and in some Bibles you will see parentheses. Well, they named him Moses because they drew him out of the water. There is an understanding of these things. This is why it is that God has 72 different names in the Old Testament, also known as Tanakh. He is referred to as El Shaddai. He is referred to as Elohim, Eloah, Eloah. In fact, he's even referred to as Shalom and Sinai. He's referred to as those as well. And there's just so much of a huge, long list in terms of these things. The name Elohim is not just a singular plural because it ends in a mem sofit, but it also is God's attribute of judgment. That's why it is that in Genesis chapter one, verse one, it says, Bereshit bara Elohim et hashemaim vi et ha eretz. It doesn't use the yod k vav k. Instead, there was judgment. He was judging that the world be formed. This is the powerful nature of God. There is the name Rafe. The name Rafe means healer, is another one of the names for God. The absolute singular of God, the Father, Eloah. There is also El Shaddai and all of the others that show us various other parts of God. The Yod Kevavke is so interesting because it is a name that doesn't have, that cannot be used in a sentence. It has never been used for anybody else. And in all honesty, considering the ruling of the sages, I'm glad that the various individuals in the sacred name movement do not know how to say the four letter name because that means that they are safe from the judgment. They are safe from that particular judgment. But that is his attribute of mercy. And just, you know, to give you a little bit of Hebrew insight, I will say parts of the variants that you probably have heard of and show you why this is incorrect because this is tends to be something that people who don't understand the things that we talked about on here propagate these things and push these things. And it ultimately comes from egotism and haughtiness. We don't have egotism and haughtiness towards a teacher or a doctor or our parents. That's why we refer to our parents as mom and dad. 
we refer to a teacher as Mr. or Mrs. or Ms. so-and-so. We refer to our doctor as Dr. so-and-so. But a person who says, you know what, you're on the same level as me, is going to be the one that says, I'm going to call you by this as opposed to revering you, Hashem. Instead of revering you, I'm going to bring you down to my level and prop myself up on your level. There is a variant of the four-letter name that has the word uh, way in it. Oh, that's horribly problematic because Hebrew doesn't have a W sound. Aramaic does, but Hebrew does not. The Vav in Hebrew has never made a W sound, cannot make a W sound. In Hebrew, it can make a V sound, it can make an O sound, and it can make a U sound. There's another variant that has the word Hova in it. Oh, the word Hova in Hebrew requires two Vavs. One to make the O sound and one to make the V sound. And plus the word Hova means destruction. Now, the only letter that we're not pronouncing there is the Yod at the beginning. And the Yod at the beginning is often used in Aramaic as a supplication for the four letter name of God. So that is when a person says, that part and then Hova they're saying God is destruction and that actually is found in the Nakud in some of the um, Dead Sea Scrolls and other manuscripts but are they saying that God is destruction no they are telling people to pronounce it as Adonai because at the time the Dead Sea Scrolls were written those supplications already came about and oftentimes the Psalms were a part of the uh, of the prayers that were recited so when you see a Vav with a Cholam and then a Kamatz underneath you're like wait a minute that, that, that can't happen oh that's to remind me to say Adonai and so that is the reason why that is in there and it's actually written in the scribal notes to the side of the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Aleppo Codex or I'm sorry the Leningrad Codex where that is found some people just choose not to look at it then there's another variant that has the word Hua in it that variant ooh, is worse than all the others why? Well, because the fact that it requires a third um, hey, and it requires either an olive or an ayin for that guttural stop after their first uh, sound that it is that they make. And plus, the word hua in Hebrew means deceit and it means trickery. And it's so interesting that I see individuals who are part of that group 
constantly engage in those very things, deceit and trickery. So whenever it is that the four letter name is found within our scriptures, what is it that traditionally a person would do? It depends. (laughs) It depends. First of all, the word God is perfectly fine because that is a, a part of El Shaddai, Elohim, Eloah. In fact, all of those are usually translated as God. God is not a bad word, despite what some individuals say. It is definitely not. If you are a little bit more halakhically Jewish, then what you would do is in conversation or when reading the scripture, you will either say God or Hashem. Hashem means the name. It means that you are giving reverence to that particular name. Though it is, you know your place. You're saying, I am not on the level of God. So I'm not going to say it. And so you say Hashem, the name. If you're in prayer, then we use Adonai. A vast majority of the prayers within that of Judaism in the Siddurim start out Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam. Three times a day, many of you probably recite the Shema. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem Gevod, Malkutov Leolam Bayed. And so, in prayer, we tend to use Adonai. Well, my friends, I hope and I pray that this teaching has been helpful to you and help you to kind of cut through a vast majority of the malarkey that is out there in terms of this topic. And um, I hope that this has blessed you, okay? Uh, Make sure to uh, check us out next week. Uh, Can't wait to connect with you guys again. All right. Shalom, bracha, peace and a blessing. Shalom.